and a ten, and a nine, and a three, and a two, and we're here live on Facebook. I'm pretty sure. Uh, are we live? Let's just say we are. Hey, everybody. Uh, welcome. Uh, Star Trek D Space Nine Season 1, Episode 11. The Nagus is over and has been since, I don't know, I think March of 1993 or something, but we're just getting started here. Live Long and Podcast. I'm Dave Mater, joined with Jeff Mater to talk to you about DSS9. And we're also here tonight with Jamil Robinson talking about this episode as we continue our three and a half year journey on watching, rewatching D Space Nine. And uh, uh, we're here streaming live on Facebook. Uh, also, you might be listening to us after the fact on the audio version or on YouTube or watching us on YouTube. Welcome, everybody. So, hey, let's talk about uh, the the first. I is it the first Ferengi centric episode, maybe in all of Star Trek? I think. Um, Was there not one in TNG? Well, there are, but like I guess more from their perspective because this is a quirk focused episode and as quirk as right. a main character as a main cast member of a series as a Ferengi versus more of a guest appearance uh, right. as we're about to do here this week on live long and podcast if you're going to be tuning in here on Friday we're going to be doing menage a Troy a season three episode featuring some uh, dubious Ferengi characters one played by um, uh, Ethan Phillips who went on to play Neelix uh, on Voyager uh, yeah so and I think Jeff you have that character uh, this week, but no, yeah. I gave it up, didn't I? No, no, you have Farrick. Yeah. Oh, I have Farrick. Oh, it's, that's not the main guy. Yeah, no, no, you don't have the main guy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, so let's get opinions. Uh, start with Jamil uh, talking about the Nagus. The Nagus. Um, to me, this is the first Star Trek Deep Space Nine um, episode that I really feel like everything comes together, right? Um, Enterprise, you're really focused on what the Federation has, and you're not really taking the perspective of the potential um, different cultures that are being involved. Uh, This is the episode that when I think back outside of Emissary, this is the episode I think of uh, when I remember Deep Space Nine first season. This episode. This episode? This is like the... This is the episode. Um, This is a fantastic episode. It is. It's great. Hey, I, I don't disagree. Uh, Jeff, what how do you feel about the Nagus? Um, yeah, it's good. Like it's it's um a big part of why Deep Space Nine stands out. I mean, Deep Space Nine is not Federation centric. It's about a lot of different cultures and aliens that are on the station. It, it, they can have a story about Odo, they can have a story about the Ferengi, they can have a story about the Bajorans, and it has nothing to do with Starfleet whatsoever. And a lot the other shows don't really do that. Like when they have a wharf episode in TNG, it's very much about, you know, wharf, but he's a Starfleet officer first. You know, he's, you know, that's kind of like it's told from that point of view. And, uh, and most where, of the, and they're all usually, yeah, in TNG, they're all Starfleet officers, maybe say for like Guinan and a couple other, you know, right. A couple, but Guinan, Guinan's a very mysterious character, even still, like I find. Like, whereas like, um, you know, wharf, they fleshed out a lot more of, of his human background as far as like who he's raised by um but like it, it, it they make no apologies for a different culture especially this episode like kind of what jubil was referring to is that this episode really encapsulates a different culture and how like the federation for instance has to respect that culture and what the customs are and uh, that's very important for this episode it establishes what do you say is 
yeah fair like i think uh it's all spot on like okay i found this episode troubling in a lot of ways especially the potential for rom to be murdering quark uh uh-huh. you know i don't want to bury the lead about this episode but there's a lot of like brothers looking to kill you know jeff if you try to throw me out of there like i'm definitely not going to reward you and buy you well, a drink jeff like if you told jeff multiple times that you were going to do that yourself then <laughs> i don't know if <laughs> okay well okay if i was like jeff i'm always going to throw you out an airlock and then you almost throw me he hesitates rom hesitates so right. i guess we're you know maybe quark recognizes that too it's it, it, it doesn't seem like he was going he was like conflicted though up until the point he has to touch the button Every every other point, he's like very he's delighted with the prospects of killing his brother. <laughs> so I mean, he fires quite a bit with uh, yeah, Zek's son cracks. Yeah, I love these Ferengi names. But I also believe that Rom is um, partially responsible of why the first attempt didn't really pay off. So, oh right, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Uh, they don't really explain that in the episode, but I do agree that's probably most likely the case. Uh, so I mean, Rom's he's so different. I mean, as as far as a character at the, this early as stage, as far as an arc goes, okay, as an arc, yeah, yeah. where he is, the, he he screams at Nog in this episode. You will never return to that human school. But, yes. Led by a female. <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh. Uh, and then Nagus is like, you you let you let your son do this? It's like, a female? Yeah. <laughs> do a female? You let go to school? Okay. I don't really understand the Ferengi as far as their their attitudes towards school because they don't don't they have scientists and people who have to yeah study things in order to accomplish what they do don't uh, they have to like make ships and computer pads and like don't they have to have so, like and they have rules of acquisition so that's obviously some sort of like a had to be in a book you know like you know like it's strange what the stereotype they're using but at this point as a society are they actually making these things or are they like already outsourced it or they just acquire in these things there is like a like a thing that they acquired warp drive they didn't necessarily invent their own warp drive uh but aliens contacted them first and they didn't have a prime directive so many species probably i think the klingons are the klingons got warp drive because they were kind of conquered by a species that had warp drive there's a bunch of like tales like that and um and so maybe the ferengi and as far as like we don't we I think this episode sets up this world of possibilities with the Frankie. We get a lot of Frankie episodes after this. More is established, but what is never really clear is like quite how Frankie society works. Uh, we get the sense that the Dangus is the head of their their or the leader of their society, or at least the commerce portion focused area of their society, which their society has a lot of importance on. But we never see like like the the president of the Ferengi alliance or anything like that so it's it's led to just believe it's like a, it's a consortium of businesses um i would like to talk a little bit about how important this episode is for the for jake as a character this episode was the first episode where i was like okay they got something here with jake 
um it makes sense like he he he's really good in the episode like his, his uh the, it starts off with cisco wanting to take him to bajor he's like no i want to go hang out with nog and then nog kind of like asks him to lie for him in class like there's a whole bunch of co- conflicting moments that jake has to go through in this episode and he still like ends up on the right side the moral side the good side and and is and then cisco acknowledges it uh, and, and it's just like a really good like Father's Day episode in a lot of ways too, uh, you know. So that's that's what I took a lot from the episode. What do you guys? And think? then Jake is no snitch too. Yeah, Jake is no snitch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I think that this is like a lot about sort of intolerance and how people and friendships are formed in, in spite of all kinds of pre-existing like. Um, prejudices basically right because like the humans don't like the Ferengi values and the Ferengis don't like the human values and they don't think that they can coexist and it doesn't seem to very much line up with who the Federation is what Starfleet's attitudes are even like Cisco says yeah man I believe that too but these are the Ferengi you know and even when all the Ferengi ships start showing up he calls down to Odo he's like hey you better be checking out these Ferengis. He's like, I'm already on it. I'm like, this is kind of racial profiling against Ferengis. Uh, Countess Silverware, he said. Yeah, Countess Silverware. And <laughs> Countess it's, it's it's a little bit, whew, you know, I don't know if like this, they have a reputation, earned or not, like they, it exists. Um, and, well, they yeah. mentioned it themselves too. They're like, you know, our reputation is terrible. We can, you know, start fresh in the, the Gamma Quadrant where we can, you know, get our, <laughs> no get one knows how bad we again, are. right? Break, um, break all of our promises again. Uh, I'm. This is a, a B storyline that I think works really well and kind of um, mirrors the A storyline because mm-hmm. you have the um, characters of Cisco and um, um, the rest of the Ferengi kind of like uh, pulling Nog and Jake apart, and what Cisco sees when he kind of takes the time to like you know sneak. <laughs> after Dax uh, tells him to um, yeah. he really notices that in the grand scheme of things like the Federation can do a lot of good for the Ferengi right mm-hmm. not really understanding yet that uh, Nog will be a great influence on Jake as well that's going to be later on but um, seeing that kind of like and you see how the adults react kind of gives Cisco a little hope in terms of how he was feeling at the beginning of the episode, especially towards the Ferengi, and how closed off they are and unwilling to change. Nod yeah, learning how to read is yeah. a change that he saw. They wouldn't even let Morn in the in the bar. He didn't talk. <laughs> There's some crazy moments with Morn in this episode. Morn laughing and yeah. whatever. It's it's shooting him off like shoo shoo. <laughs> yeah. And and that like that Mr. Hom guy, he's not Mr. Hom, but he looks like kind of Mr. Hom guy who follows Zach around. He follows him around for all these all these appearances by you know um, Wallace Shawn as Zach. Um, I don't know the name of the actor offhand, but it's from, uh, uh, it's his bride, same guy, right? Is it? Yeah, I think so. It's the same. Uh, he's in Princess Bride. For yeah, his name. his name is Tiny Ron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I don't know if that's his birth name. Oh, Ronald, name Ronald Taylor, who he was born okay. as. Okay, he's known as Tiny Ron. That was Tiny Ron. Oh, that's his stage name. That's a his... tiny listed. Was actually he's uh he's passed unfortunately. Oh, rest in peace. 
he he also played a Herogen. Oh, I didn't. Oh, nice. I thought no, isn't Zach Wallace Sean? Uh, yeah, Zach is, yeah. but the guy who yeah. played, Tiny Ron's is like bodyguard guy. Or oh, the so bodyguard. Guy. Oh, he passed away. Oh, shit. Yeah, seventy-two. Oh, good life. <sighs> Big bucket of win. As Big bucket of win. As yeah, he was Tiny player. Ron. He was on D Space Nine. None of us <laughs> got to be on D Space Nine. So, no. Uh, but here we're talking about it, and uh, yeah, like I think that there's this episode does work on a lot of levels. I think yeah, the whole B story with this, with, if you can call it that, with uh, Cisco and his, you know, and Jake, and um, and also I think with Zach and his son and Cracks, and this yeah. whole thing is a lesson he's trying to teach to his son at the expense of Quark and everybody, because Quark. Is just enthralled like by his celebrity status. He's kind of like uh, got uh, he's starstruck by Natus's, you know, just coming to here at the beginning. At the beginning, but then he's like, "Oh, yeah. but he's here to buy me out, and I'm I'm not gonna get proper value, and this sucks." And <laughs> so he's, yeah, I, I guess is this like like the president showing up, like you know, and going like, "Oh, it's so great to see you, Mr. President," and then. Like and then you start to go. Oh, is the president want like my bar, or because he wants to make money off me? Or like, I think it's more know, like, like uh, the Godfather showing the, up. The Godfather. Uh, yeah, it's a little closer to that because that's the whole thing. Is I don't quite as I always try to like understand each of these species kind of as a character and how their culture works. And the Fringy, just like as the Nagus is, he seems to be like yeah, the, like he's like the head of this syndicate, this commerce syndicate. But it's not clear, and he he's in charge of like how the deals work in his culture. But beyond that, it's not it's because when, a percentage on the top of everything. Yeah, because when the Frangi were first introduced in the, in the next generation, they were like this nemesis. They were supposed to be like this this antagonist, kind of like the Romulans. And you know, this is only six you know six seven years later, and not even. And um, and the Frangi have become sort of like this whole other thing by this point. Like they've been kind of turned into this pariah race a little bit among in this piece because they're they're not considered threatening instead so that's what i'm always trying to reconcile like who were these ferengi what was zek doing when the when the enterprise was tangling with ferengi marauders in the first season and stuff like that yeah and and damon whatever that guy who like was like you know tried to kill picard's son damon some other damon there's always, you know, and the demons who, who, and we're going to see a menage a Troy here on Live Long and Podcast here on Star Trek Radio Theater, yeah. Friday Night Live. We're going to hear a Damon Tog who kidnaps people, Luxana Troy and Deanna Troy. And there's, um, it's not, it's not pretty. And, and Dr. Farrick does some very nefarious, uh, brain experiments on Luxana. Not, you know, so I, like, I'm like, are they like an antagonist race? Are they like more evil? Or are they just kind of opportunistic and, you know, fun and whatever are they just as diverse as anybody and they have a whole bunch of different types of people in their culture um yeah i mean i think when you look at the ferengi they're kind of like this they can do anything with them like as far as like like they could really push them to the moral levels that most people would just go gee you know oh my god like you know like some of the things they say you kind of go like, oh my god! Like, they're, but they're meant to be like this antagonist culture to the Federation, but they're also like their own thing where you just have to like look like almost like anthropology, where you look like you have to analyze their culture because they're so based on money and capitalism. Basically, that's like what, what fuels them. But at the same time, they they're very untrust 
untrusting of each other. You know, like no, it's the, encouraged. The whole, it's like it's in there. It's yeah. like written into the rule book. It's right. Yes, yeah, like there's a whole bunch of times they reference in this episode where they say like you you know have loyal people around you, but not too loyal because then you know you can't trust that either. Yeah. So like, what can you try? Like, like, what kind of like they always want you to balance this line, the Ferengi. Uh, that's why you got to play these rules and. And, but then they can like say these offensive things like saying like oh you're being taught by a female or like what you know they say all these ridiculous things and they're we're not meant to like them but we are meant to like individual characters we're meant to like quark we're meant to like nog uh we're not meant to like rom yet rom is not meant to be liked until maybe the end of the episode I and mean, then maybe we start to turn around on him um and we started to see well, i was like i was like i hate rom by the end of this episode i was like really? well, how did i ever get behind rom because he's like about to throw nog out of, i don't know how he gets away with it i don't know how he doesn't get arrested for attempted murder yeah. how does he like, arrested or conspiracy to commit murder odo's right there odo's the one who lets him out of the airlock no one gets arrested in this episode yeah Nobody. no one Even, right and it's I, not like, I i think that no who did rom what? and cracks deserve it right but if if cork is not going to press charges I suppose, right? Um, yeah, Oda doesn't even ask him, but I guess it's it's kind of implied because he, he damaged the station, or is the the bar like considered Quark's establishment, and therefore whatever happens there is his responsibility, as opposed to the station as a whole and Bajor. Or how much do they get involved in Ferengi affairs? Okay, like, is the syndicate powerful enough that? You know, Federation and Beige are just kind of like, we'll let it, we'll let it slide. We don't really want to cause a an incident whatsoever. Right. Like, there's a whole scene here. I think it's one of the best scenes of the uh, episode where Quark is the Grand Nagus all of a sudden, and he's talking to Odo, and he's like, uh, he's like, what does that mean? Uh, you're the Grand Nagus, and he's like, that means whenever you want to speak to me, you have to speak to Rom first. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and Odo's just like, huh. Yeah. Okay. Rom's an idiot. He couldn't fix a straw if it was bent. <laughs> so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Like at yeah. this point, like Odo and Quark are just well-established characters. So them just playing off of each other, even in small moments, is just like gold. It's mm -hmm. just perfectly. You know exactly where everyone stands and. It's like you're seeing people perform on stage and you immediately like, I, I know who this person is. I know who that person is. And you're just seeing just seeing them in play and they're just bouncing yeah. off each other. It's it's great. It's great chemistry. Like yeah. you wish that all at this point in this this show that like you don't really see it with like Bashir chemistry with nobody. Right. No. Um, is Bashir even in this episode? Nope. No, wait, <laughs> yes, he does. He checked. He checks up on Quark. He's. I think he's like in the background. I think Cisco tells him to get lost. <laughs> he's like, "What? No, never no mind. Go. No <laughs> you want a line? No, no. no. You don't. You, you don't get a line. That episode you did two episodes ago was sucked. I talked to the director. You're out. <laughs> Take a break and re-examine um, your your life right now. Oh. Like, there's even a scene where Quark is in the like the sick bay. Yeah. And it's Cisco and Odo deal with them. There's no Bashir. There's no Bashir. Yeah. I think they say Bashir said it's fine. Yeah. yeah. I checked with Bashir off camera. We, we didn't even want to burn this film. episode. Take it me. Don't worry. Go go to crafts. It's it's okay. You got your uniform on? That's cool. That's you can 
hanging so, uh, O'Brien's back in this episode, right? Yeah. Uh, he's been gone for five or six episodes because he's off to film a movie, right? So he's back here, and uh, and so we're like, we have no time for Bashir. Yeah. Oh man, it's a shame that he wasn't um, back in the last episode. I would want to mm. see him uh, do the O'Brien. Yeah. <laughs> what in the Alamorain? Irish DL, yes. <laughs> yes. That's my that's one of my big yes. Oh yeah. Alamorain, count to four, Alamorain, count to four, Alamorain, then three more, Alamorain, if you can see Alamorain. Alamorain, you'll come with me. I've watched that so many times since last week and I picked out like the three moments that the the kid makes a mistake and kind of does the wrong movement and tries to fix it midway. Oh, it's great. Right. Yeah. Last week's episode was brutal, but hilarious and memorable on so many levels. This week's episode, I really do like. I although I do, th- I think it's like the weakest of sort of these Ferengi focused quark uh, epi- episodes that will that will sort of be a big part of this series. Um, because I, you know, I think that Wallace Shawn is probably the quietest version of Zach in this episode. He's the most like respectable. And they're like, when they, I think in every version I've seen of Zach after this, he's way more like, wow, like, like I am not turning it down. It, it, you know, Zach is here, but baby. A little bit more. Yeah. He, yeah. Not that he's that subtle in this episode. I just felt like he's more so than what I'm used to, but then he was like, you what, what, <laughs> what, what? <laughs> the females and Risa. Rice and females. <laughs> Why am I not being bringy in this in this like uh, uh, performance coming up on Friday? I don't know. Wallace Shawn already kind of has like that voice, but he like he amps it. Uh, he somehow makes himself more Wallace Shawn to play this role. <laughs> He's and like, I'm gonna play with, with Wallace Shawn. Was a freaky, ah! you know, yeah. Know. Like he, he really lays it on thick, and it's great. But at a certain time, like certain times, like it's like just annoying. You're just like, ah, oh. like you know, it's supposed to be. It's intentional, but it's um. Uh, here, I got a little clip here. Let's bring. Let's bring in a little. Clip. Wait, is this the clip? <laughs> The tubes. This is when they're eating the grubs. Yeah, they are. Are you sure? <laughs> My compliments, Quark. <laughs> yeah, I don't no. think I can. I can show the video These for too long. These tube grubs are without... to perfection. <laughs> Did yeah. I say I was finished? <laughs> I do love the setup, though. That was kind Please of help cool. yourself. It's like a spinning table. It's like a lazy Susan with multi levels. I talked to your cousin Barbo. Armin Shimmerman really plays the role well, though. Like you really believe that he's in awe of the Nagus. Like I just think I find he um he plays Quark so well, especially in these Quark centric episodes. Not easy to do. I think it's very um. He has to be good for the episode to work, yeah, and it does. And uh, that this is kind of the problem with Bashir, he hasn't quite figured out like why what to do with Bashir yet. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. why some of those episodes don't work. Uh, whereas like Armin Shimmerman really knew what he was doing, same thing kind of with Odo, 
Um, you know, so most of the characters are fleshed out, but not all of them. And it took time, and that you know that that's that happens, and that needs to happen sometimes in, in TV shows. I think Armin Shimmerman is brilliant in the role of Quirk. I think that they could have done anything with Quirk if they if they had told if they had said, "Guess what? We're making a new Star Trek series, and it's a Ferengi captain." <laughs> Only Armin Shimmerman could have done it. Like I'm not saying like aside from Quirk, if Quirk had never been a thing, no wrong. Like, yeah, like even, no, I just think, I, I I don't think that I don't think Quirk. I think Quirk as a character has like these qualities uh, that I don't need. I don't need Rom. I don't even need to like play with Odo necessarily. I I just like w- observing episodes. Armin Shimmerman performs. I think he's really strong in this role. He he has a good grasp on his character, so that when he's working with other like Cisco or or um, Dax or like anyone you know the guest star of the time period it's just that's a moment where it kind of feels like lived in where you're like oh that's quirk and you can is this season seven quirk no it's quirk right he has a good grasp on the character already right it seems already like you can if like you wouldn't be surprised if he had like a bible that he wrote out about who quirk is yeah right and already had a good grasp on the past present and future of that character Right, yeah. it just seems that lived in that well studied on that character as a whole. Yeah, yeah I'd I, say I'd say Quark doesn't have much of an arc. Like I'd say season one Quark is not that different than season seven Quark. Yeah, other than he's a little bit more moral maybe by the end. Uh, like he's learned a few more lessons and he's made a, you know his friendships are maybe a little bit more solidified. But that's it. Like he's basically the same guy. He's he's very true to who he is. Um, but that's reality. Some people are not that much different seven years down the road. Some people are who they are, you know. And then like Rom it, is very, very, very different by the end, right? right? So and goes on. What well, spoilers? Spoiler alert! If you're if you're listening for the first time, because I know we do have some uh, listeners uh, like that. But uh, that would let you know that uh, he goes on to become the Grand Nagus. He goes on to become the next leader of their society. Crazily enough. And and he's his attitudes like what he believes in this episode seems to be kind of in line with traditional Ferengi values. And then he kind of become by the end he's very progressive and he's very much in line with Federation values and Bajoran values. It's good, but well, yeah. we see the journey, right? And it's not like the journey doesn't make sense. There are different elements and things that occur to him, um, situations where you, he grows as an individual and. Um, yeah, it it's one of the best things of this series. So people okay. stay tuned if you've never seen it before. And Nog, like we we haven't talked too much about him tonight, but his like he's he's got some trouble in school. O'Brien, not <laughs> my that's my favorite part about this episode is O'Brien as the teacher, as the substitute much, teacher. How much she does not want to be there. How much he's like, really, a Vulcan stole your homework? Like, I mean. Just every- <laughs> Brian as the teacher was he's like he literally starts off he's like we got two weeks to get through this shit until Keiko gets back I don't want to do this shit anymore it's looking what he says all right let's settle down let's settle down Jake Nog Nog I like what Nog's wearing thank you now We only have two more weeks to get through before Mrs. O'Brien returns from Earth, so that shouldn't be too difficult. So he came. So he came. He came ahead. Right. Let's get out our homework pads. We begin with the older students. 
Uh, your last assignment was to write an essay defining the term ethics. Let's start with... Picks on Nog. I think he picks Nog. on Nog here. Yeah. Well, Nog kind of like stoops down. I Why don't do you have my essay. Why do learn about Why ethics, dude? My pad was stolen. Is that a fact? It's kind of, well, it's, I think, that the, what are the ethics about teaching a Ferengi ethics <laughs> in school? Uh, because obviously they do have cultural differences. And so are you just teaching what ethics are as a concept? Or are you teaching sort of what ethics are or yeah. what is ethical? Stolen? It happened at Quark's. I put it on a table and there were some Vulcans nearby. Hold on. You're saying Vulcans stole your homework. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's so good. It's it's it, but, but oh, go ahead. Just in terms of like where Nog ends up, right? But the best part of this episode is at the very end, a Vulcan walks by the bar at the very end. And both <laughs> Jay I know <laughs> and she like has a little bit of a, a swag, a little sway. a swagger, yeah. I'm yeah. gonna see if I can find that. And, is that I wish O'Brien was there in the background and like after they leered her, they could have went like Whoa. she could have been like <laughs> I got it, Dave, if you want it. <laughs> oh, you have it? Oh here. Oh, you have this way? Yeah, watch. Whoa. Oh, oh yeah, she's definitely she I don't know. She might be Romulan. I think she's Romulan spy. I don't think Vulcan would, would walk like that. Um, just saying. It should have been O'Brien <laughs> with Cisco, and then Nog would have just like, look, it, she's right there. Get her. <laughs> <laughs> or just yeah, shut, get back my, give me back my homework. <laughs> okay, give me, yeah, yeah. He doesn't seem too concerned. He's, yeah. <laughs> well, he's out of school at this point, so right, right, and he's already accomplished that um, that paper, that essay. So. Um, okay, we haven't talked enough about the scene with Cisco and Dax. Yes, thank you. you. It's like you guys are hitting all of my points here. It's great. Yeah, that was an odd scene with the odd? stew. You, I thought you it remember was this stuff? The stew looked grosser than <laughs> bugs that the naked was eating. Isn't this like the famous stew they're always talking about in every other episode? Like the. I My just I kept, I kept looking at them like scooping at it, and I kept thinking like even the actors know this is gross, and like somebody made this and was like they couldn't tell that person no or something like aubergine stew. That's what it's oh, called. God. Doesn't it, it look like gross. Salisbury steak sauce? I mean, a round of like, and chess, but I can see you're just sitting down to dinner. I sat down half an hour ago about the time Jake was supposed to be home. It looks like a bowl stew. of vomit. Looks delicious. Like that's what it so looks where's like. Jake? Where <laughs> With Nog. And look, like she'll surviving my sons is going. Yeah, right maneuver too. Yeah, like she's just like there for the stew, and yeah. I don't know. It's and it, you should go after him. I'm gonna stay here with the food. It looks so gross. I mean, it, it, I don't get it. I, I don't understand. Like, like it, they wanted to do something different and like make it look alien, but it it's like, he so actually cool. made the stew with the baseball in it. That's why the baseball. <laughs> it looks, looks like, like the same color, look, roughly. Look, there she goes. She's gonna like stab at it right here. Look, look how lit, like she's like. I don't even want to touch this shit. I don't even. That's that that fork was clean for sure. Like you know, like <laughs> she was just like. <laughs> 
so good. <laughs> she so did good. takes with it and she spit it out. And the, the last take that they use. No, but here at the milk. end, she goes to town on it, right? There's a glass of milk there. Why is this, like, what's going yeah, on? You're drinking that with milk? Yeah, she throws the baseball. Yeah, he throws the baseball door and then. She, does she put like, it on the floor? Mm, aubergine stew. Yeah, she just scoops it, right? Which is yeah. fine. For her to actually eat it is a different <laughs> It's just an odd. It's an it's an odd scene. I guess. Like, is there trying is these early scenes where they're trying to establish those their relationship? I don't think it always well, quite works. You no, know, because like uh, I feel like uh, just as like if you were watching it for the first time, you would think like, are these two in a romantic relationship? Like, why are they like having dinner together alone? Like, what what is the reasoning? Like, like, like it just seems like. I think like a layman like person would be like, well, I get that Dax is like live seven life. She mentions it, that she's been like a father twice or a mother three times or whatever she says. And, and I get that. She's kind of like this confidant to Cisco, but at the same time, like I, most of the time with these archetypes with TV shows, most people are going to be like, well, they're having dinner together at night. Like, why are they not like, are they romantic? Like, what, what is going on with these two characters? And that never happens ever with that. You hear that like also as gossip in some of the dialogue. They throw that. The writers, I think, know that. And they kind of throw it into some scenes where, like, I heard that she's dating Cisco. And right. You hear like Bashir and Quark will sometimes say these kinds of things to each other. Did she request to come into his room or to the thing or did it automatically open um, i can't remember you wonder if she has a key <laughs> well yeah or they just see. used to her just walking in i can't i can't really remember that 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 beginning she, of it kind she, of, she rings the doorbell she rings okay yeah she rings yeah there's a door chime yeah she doesn't have a key yet <laughs> not yet he didn't leave it under the um, with the mat yeah like <sighs> Home sweet Cisco. I mean, I do like the Cisco and oh, the Cisco and the baseball stuff because, like, I mean, I, I keep a baseball on my desk just like Cisco. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I do, I like that he's like this is his like his his thinking aid because like he has like a um like he has a he has Jake on his mind like in this scene like that's really what the scene's about is the fact that like he's worried about Jake he didn't want to come down to the bay door with him he wants to hang out with Nog he's worried that like. And then, you know, everything, the, his relationship with Nog, and, and he's just concerned. Like, a, he's a good, concerned father. Uh, and, and, you know, it's it's pretty clear. And I, I don't know, I just think they're fleshing out the fact that th this captain's different. Like, he's very different than Kirk and, and Picard. Uh, you know, he has a child, and they're, they're really addressing it. They don't just, like, shush it away. Like, it's very important to what makes Deep Space Nine work. What do you, yeah, like... Uh, that, I mean, so the, the baseball thing, I like that they kind of give him that, like that. It's kind of his. He's thing. just throwing that into, the, yeah, uh, yeah. He's he's worried about his kid, man. That's what he's like. He's like, ah, my kid's hanging out with this Ferengi kid, and he's a bad influence on, him, and he's lying right. in class. So Brian's grumpy about it. He's not he's not fixing those replicators <laughs> fast enough, and whatever. So uh, you, you, Jeff, you're absolutely right. It gives Cisco kind of like this human quality, like this this character quality that you can relate to like what does cisco what does uh, picard do when he is troubled right does he go into his um his um dormitory his um his room and then play the flute right he has tea and he looks off in the distance mm -hmm. right what did um kirk do besides bang women right in his off hours like, he worked he out always home sometimes he was working work out, out and then occasionally pass by and see people karate he was doing some karate uh, <laughs> he, climbed, he climbed El Capitan. Yes, rock climbing. Um, 
Horseback riding. We know he likes horseback that. Ride. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so like physical activity. Oh, that's kind of Kirk's thing for yeah. sure. He yeah. Did. And like yeah, you're right. Picard's thing is like order a tea and curl up with a warm book. Like that. That's kind of Picard's thing. And uh, yeah, Cisco's got the baseball. Janeway. She likes to take baths. That's kind of what I remember about Janeway. <laughs> she's going. Uh, she sometimes. Sometimes she says a coochie moya. A coochie moya. <laughs> 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 it's oh so good. God. I love that clip. It's <laughs> a great clip. Oh, uh, we are far for the bones of our ancestors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, far. For, yeah, just. Oh. Moya. We are far from the sacred places of our grandfathers and from the bones of our people. But perhaps there is one powerful being who will embrace this good crew and give them the answer they seek. And that music is swirling. I love it. It's so great. It's like on this week on the wonderful world of Disney. <laughs> a coochie moya. <laughs> What's your spirit animal? Um, yeah, it was just like, yeah, we're not here to talk about that, though. We're doing the names. Oh, no, Voyager is a whole other box. Of whole other, I would love to cover some Voyager episodes. There's a lot of things to unpack with some of those episodes, but I would um, like Kim one, not Kim two. Yeah, I, yeah, I like. I I also enjoyed the baseball aspect of the Cisco's. I think that uh, you know, like on retrospect, I think a lot of like the um, um, Jake and Cisco, you know, and and Benjamin Cisco relationship, I think is really interesting on rewatch uh, more than I liked it. The, you know, when I was younger, um, so it's you know, I think it, it works a lot. I think a lot of these metaphors here in this episode are good, and and I and I also think yeah, like in the whole other aspect of this episode is the Ferengi and what we establish here the rules of acquisition are first introduced here that becomes like is it I, no there was one other episode yeah, where they mentioned it they mentioned it previously oh really yeah yeah orc says i think the second rule of acquisition in the second episode or the third episode so yeah, it's I, not, I, first. I think I, I referenced it too as well i'm pretty sure but it's might be the, i'm pretty sure it's the second time they've, they've talked that, that it's been mentioned and uh no, yeah, I mean, I think, this is the first episode. No. Yeah. No, I'm positive that well, next week we'll fact check it. I have it right yeah. here. I'm positive that in the second or third episode, Quark mentions a rule of acquisition to Odo. I think you have a hard time finding that. I'll find it and I'll prove it to you. <laughs> All right. I say this is the first introduction. I say yeah. this is the first introduction to the rules of acquisition. And the first rule of acquisition. It, is it's actually said in this episode, and I, I mean the rule number one: uh, once you have their money, you never give it back. Right. They never learn all the rules, but it we. It says the same thing. It's the first time, but I'm positive that we, the cork says it to Odo. That might be the Mandela effect, Jeff, where you just <laughs> you forget Bernstein, it. You remember it differently. Maybe you're right. I, I was pretty sure that he had mentioned it. Uh, should we do some fun facts? Have we talked yeah, about get the fun to facts? I think we've unpacked this episode quite a bit. I think that the fun fact is that this is the first introduction of the rules of acquisition, <laughs> but our fun factor needs to be fact checked himself. He needs to be fun fact checked. I don't think it's it's correct. I think the the the, the IMDb is wrong. Um, because I'm pretty sure we talked about it. But anyway, um, okay, so the Ferengi face seen on the Grand Nega staff was originally sculpted to resemble. Quark, Armin Shimmerin's face. 
which is kind of funny because you think it would have been you know crafted to uh, Wallace Shawn, but I guess Wallace Shawn was like casted like you know pretty close to when they shot it. So uh, the scene where Cork meets Nava is an homage to the opening scene of Francis Ford Coppola's 1972 movie The Godfather. So it really comes back to what you guys were saying about The Godfather. Um, Quark's Corvin Gilvo, the way he scratches his ear, the blinds on the windows, even the dialogue, yet now you call me Nagus, are all allusions to the film. So, yeah, they basically wanted to make an, a Godfather in Space episode. Yes. And, and that's how, why we got the Nagus, and this is why we get a lot of these things that go on to be big parts of Star Trek. Absolutely. Um, the alien forms of Korob and Sylvia are seen on a view screen in O'Brien's classroom. Uh, the original story featured Klingons, Romulans, Vulcans, and uh, several new races visiting Deep Space Nine to establish a new criminal syndicate. The story was modified to specifically feature the Frankie. So, like, so kind of like an Orion syndicate sort of thing. Yeah, they wanted to do a bigger, make the, 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 the station seem even bigger with the amount of aliens on it, I guess. But they do include the Vulcan, and they do they do things that kind of like do that yeah um, we hired this woman to play the, the vulcan uh we use her? Yeah. do another take you gotta increase the sway the swagger the swagger it would have made more sense just to make her a romulan but they i'm guessing they used the vulcan just for that joke where yeah, <laughs> yeah they ate his homework or they stole homework. homework or whatever so yeah. Uh, the Gratitude Festival is later celebrated on Tuesday's night in Fascination and Tears of the Prophet. So that's the, the big um, Bajoran festival that is mentioned by Cisco. Uh, the screen behind O'Brien in the, in the school uh, includes a figure of the puppet aliens from the original series Cat's Paw, as well as Tribbles. I didn't notice any of this. Do you guys notice any of this stuff behind uh, O'Brien? I mean... Wait, let's I, go back. In the classroom, he's teaching them about all this stuff? Yeah. No, it's just behind him. Like there's figures of puppet aliens. There's there's uh yeah, there's a there's something else. There's a, yeah the the alien forms of Korob and Sylvia are seen on a view screen behind him as well. So I mean I don't remember seeing any of this stuff, but I guess I, I was guess... just happy that O'Brien was back. Here, let's, I guess take a, let's bring this up. Is this? Yeah, I guess that's what I guess. I mean, I I, I did not pay attention. I would not it. say that I I've seen I, what I'm seeing here is anything close to i would just think that's a taco i love how they have like, yeah, like on the screen he has comparative xenology but they're talking about ethics so like what is he teaching is he teaching ethics or is he oh is he some starships in the back right. some stars well, he hasn't changed the screen since keiko has left and he's like we're leaving yeah. here i'm not touching that yeah <laughs> oh my god uh, so yeah, back to O'Brien. Um, um, O'Brien returned in this episode. His last appearance was in Qless, after which he and Keiko went to visit Keiko's mother for her hundredth birthday on Earth. This is mentioned in the episode Dax. O'Brien returned sooner than his wife since he took over her class in school. Uh, so yeah, that's yeah, get well. back to work, O'Brien. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Blacker, you've been gone oh. for a month. Where was Rosalind Chow? Why couldn't she come back? Yeah. I'm guessing when they when he came back, they're like, "We're giving you the worst scene in the episode. Yeah, we're go. giving you all the Keiko stuff. It's all, all you. Me. You're literally <laughs> getting Keiko's lines here, and deal with it." Did they <laughs> did they write this for the um, security dude? For whatever is um, um, I already forgot him already. Oh yeah, Primin, Primin. Yeah, where's Primin. Lieutenant Primin? He's not in this episode. He he's not helping. Played this role. He's gone. O'Brien's back. They're like they kicked him right to the curb. Yeah. <laughs> 
They didn't even do the same job. I don't get it. Um, all right. Okay. So at the beginning of Act One, there appears to be a model, each of a Miranda class and a Nebula class vessel, in the rear of the schoolroom. The two models lack the upper hull attachments that usually adorn the respective ship classes. There is also a poster containing dorsal views uh, of of the five USS Enterprise vessels commissioned by the Federation Starfleet to date, along with other unknown diagrams. So yeah, so we already mentioned that. But um, okay, so uh, Rom and uh, Might are previous. Um, my Hardu previously appeared together in the film The Rocketeer as Wilmer and Lothar, respectively, with the former brutally murdering the latter. Cisco yeah. states that Molly O'Brien is three years old, even though only 17 months of real time elapsed between her birth in TNG and this episode. Well, okay, okay. I stand by the fact that Molly can't be that old yet. So I think that this look that O'Brien gives to Cisco early on is like, my daughter is not three years old. Here, let me find it. Uh, here it is. It would become me versus Nog, and I'm not going to force Jake to choose between us. Why not? Because I'd probably lose. Oh, I doubt that, sir. That's because your daughter's three. Wait until she's 14. I think this look is like, my daughter's not this idiot. You don't even know how old my child is. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible captain. Okay. Hard to at least fake it. Jeez. You're a bad boss. Chief, why <laughs> yeah. don't you fix those replicators? I like Picard better. He was polite. Yeah, he's, he like, he'd like to talk to me about model ships. <laughs> You're always right at me about stuff. Blow up the damn ship, John Luke. <laughs> no. <laughs> the replicator's not working out. Okay, and finally, Odo's appearance had been gradually modified over the course of the first 10 episodes. In this episode, it finally has the smooth, pale appearance that would remain for the rest of the series. And I did notice that, that Odo looked a little bit more correct. Uh, not not perfect, yet, though. I disagree that it was remained the same because... um. They definitely modified it by the next here, um, But yes, he looks the most correct in this episode. Yeah, he, it's like the nose is the right size now, and the it's just like the whole the whole thing looks proper. I gotta say though, with this makeup that they wear, okay, how are these guys not hot as hell? Like, especially the Ferengi. Like, how are they? Like, they must just be roasting. The actors in those makeups. Imagine if you're out there in California too, right? So if you go outside, what were you gonna say, Jamil? They probably are roasting like crazy. Did they pump AC and make it really cold in there when it was a Ferengi? Well, episode? I think they have to. Yeah, they have to make it cold enough that yeah, their makeup doesn't melt. Yeah, I think they're doing that in general, um, anyways, because uh, typically even like a set like that is probably running very hot. So they have to pump AC in, or otherwise everyone's going to be like lifting up arms, Dead. and then you just see sweat stains. Um, right. Those right. those lights are death, are literal death. And then the makeup yeah. to boot. Yeah, I mean, how, like, man, that must be so uncomfortable to wear that. And All you don't day. have to be one of the actors who doesn't even have to wear the makeup. Yeah, like <laughs> the, uh, the, the resentment. 
like, like what we and what we left behind. How much Michael Dorn loved it when like O'Brien had to wear the Klingon makeup, and how much of a wussy was about it. And <laughs> oh, oh, that was the one, yeah, where they did that that mission where they infiltrated the Klingons. Yeah, he had to wear the Klingon makeup, and it was like he hated it so much. And it just goes to show, like, certain actors would never have been able to play alien. I just you know? want to know: did the actors who wear makeup get paid more than the other actors? No, probably, probably not. Because aren't they doing overtime sitting there in that chair getting makeup on their face? They might get paid by hour. There's a union and all that kind of stuff, right? They're getting called to the set, so you know that's they might there's have be, a different fee whatsoever. Like there's got to be certain like kinds of um, if you're a, a B character and you have to wear makeup, you're having to wear makeup, and you're not making as much money as your A-list actor, right? Like obviously Avery Brooks would make the most money, and he doesn't have to wear any makeup. Probably on the show. Uh, what was he known for prior to this, though? Nothing really. I mean, so I oh, he was in one thing. What was it, the thing? Uh, it was a TV show. That yeah, he it's was before in. my time. Like it's before I, I, like any shows I would know because it's. He had done. He had done. Yeah, like he was known for certain type projects before. Star Wars Cup. Star Wars Cup. It was a man called Hawk. That was the TV show he was in. I mean, yeah, not, 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 not <laughs> nowhere close to what these are. My past credits of a, a man called Hawk. It's like, oh, hey, man called Hawk. I, I mean, check it out, but all he's really for me known for is Deep Space Nine and American History X. Those are the two movies that I know him, or the two things that I know him very well for. The big hit. Oh, the big hit. Yep, yep. Phone Busta, 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 Busta. Um. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, who do you think would get paid the most here? I mean, probably, maybe. That, okay, hold maybe on. I have to show this. I mean, it's hard hard to know for sure, but it definitely wasn't Terry Farrell. I mean, no, it wasn't. I don't think it was O'Brien either. Yeah, oh, I would think it might be O'Brien because he was in so many movies at the time and stuff. He was kind of he wasn't a big actor either. I mean, none of these guys really were. <laughs> well, that's an awesome jacket. Yeah, where is that? Hold on, hold on. I was like, is that from Luke Cage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is Avery Brooks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's him. Hold on, make this please. Please tell me, it was like a jazz musician in that show, <laughs> or like he was playing like Isaac Hayes' stand-in, or what? The picture where he's holding the gun uh, with the hat on, not that one. The one like over to the right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that? What was this show? I gotta I look know. this up. Like a man does called... Samuel Jackson know that like Avery Brooks was him before he was Samuel Jackson? <laughs> He's all I don't know what Did to... Samuel Jackson serial um, <laughs> Avery Brooks's career. The one that went one season, it came out the year was born, nineteen eighty nine. The series features the character from Spencer for Hire, so it's kind of like a sequel. Yeah. Or a spin-off. Yeah, a spinoff, sorry. And this time he is the star. We find Hawk now in Washington, D.C., and there he is called upon to help those who need his help. What? He's like, so he's like he's a. kind of like a vigilante? Vigilante? He's a murder. Like, is he. What is he? I don't get it. He's like Magnum? Not Magnum. Magnum was. I don't know. Kind of like Shaft? I guess Shaft. He was like Shaft. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Shaft's I mean, a cop, right? Shaft was a cop. Yeah. No, wait. Oh, he was. Oh, I so no, he, later on. 
okay so no he's a private investigator yeah, so he was he was on a show called spencer for hire before he did hawk so it's kind of like like it was a you know spinoff off a show they, spencer for hire which i'm also not familiar with but. right you know, like booker with uh, 21 jump street booker just kind of spun off of it and even back then he had like the bald head and goatee and the, and the goatee and then they made him shave you know i was thinking about that today guys and maybe you guys disagree with me but um i really like the fact that they don't give him the goatee when he's the commander that he has just the hair and that and, and he's clean shaven because i i like that he he progresses his look and when he becomes the captain like that's when he becomes like his look changes for me and he, and yeah. i, I I like it like i mean in retrospect I, i'm sure that you know the producers and avery definitely would have wanted to just go with the goatee and the bald head right from the beginning but i do like like he seems different when he's the commander he seems like a yeah, little bit i more. can appreciate in retrospect that like yeah he goes through this transformation sort of his look of the look of him not just like um his hair and facial hair but also just his uniform right you know um you know by the end he's 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 completely. He looks like a very different person <laughs> than he does in this it. first season. I hated from the first episode. Yeah, um, from the haircut. Way back right? when I'm like, oh my gosh, I hate this haircut. Looks so awful. Yeah, yeah it doesn't look good right now. It's awful. It was kind of. It was kind of the style at the time, but not really. And like, it's, I don't know. Uh, he looks better with the bald head and the goatee. Like he absolutely does look better that way. Um, but at the same time, like I kind of like for the character of Cisco, like I kind of I appreciate that that he like developed and that his look developed. And, and technically, it wasn't the style back then. If he had waves in his hair, then it yeah. would have been the 90s. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just it never really he he never felt comfortable even I think in, in, in how he looked. Right, you know right. I think he was like I have to look like this for this TV show, but this is not how I want to look. I'd right. like to look like Hawk. I want to be a man called Hawk. <laughs> Right, right, and it's so like, Hawk didn't work out. You're playing Cisco now, and then he's like, "Okay," and then he does a couple of seasons, and then like, break out the Hawk, and he's like, yeah. <laughs> "We'll make you captain, and we'll break out the Hawk." And it worked, and it worked so well. And uh, I mean, like, it, it, sometimes you look at him, you go, oh, "I wish he looked like the the, the Cisco I know," but and other times, I go, "I appreciate that he's not that Cisco yet." You know, so the gloves sometimes are. I'm like, oh, he's not like that angry Cisco yet. That's like, um, you're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. You know, when he said that, that's bald Cisco. Like, you bald. Know. No, but here, when he yells at, at, at Jake in this episode, listen, it's private. Private. Uh, I gotta go. I'll be late for school. I want you home in time for dinner. Understood? No bass in his voice. It's not the same. It's not the quite same. the same, right? No, he can't and quite it, get that. Mm. And I think you're right that it probably had a lot to do with the actor's confidence and the way he looked and the way he was trying to portray the character and all that stuff matters for sure. Yeah, like who uh, is Benjamin Cisco versus who is Avery Brooks? Uh, <laughs> it's right, but who who is Benjamin Cisco in Avery Brooks's eyes? And I think that really matters. Uh, uh, and like he doesn't really find I don't really feel like he finds who Cisco is until like season three like it takes him a couple of years uh, but he's good at the role but not fleshed out yet not fleshed out the way like maybe like we were just talking about Quark who is consistent the whole way or even Kira I feel like is very fleshed out and very consistent the whole way 
Um, so, you know, I, you guys might disagree with me on that one, but I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree that Cisco is way more hardened by the end. Way yeah, more, yeah. Like, but you know, the war alone, but like they all go through the war together, but it's, uh, it's, you know, and O'Brien goes through quite a bit of suffering, but nobody's quite as tempered as Cisco is by the end. You know, yeah. he's, he's just, he's, he's seen some stuff by the end, but you know, he come, you know, and then, you know, then he's gone. Spoilers. But wherever he is in wormhole heaven. Um, I keep on seeing reports about, man, they should have Cisco return for Picard season two. And I'm like, oh, that'd be crazy. <laughs> I don't know if that'd work. <laughs> that Picard- would be way out of left field. Like, that would, <laughs> nobody's <laughs> clamoring for that. Um, Picard is like, not a good enough show like i mean it's just it's not i, I mean I don't, I don't want them to do that i barely want seven of nine on that show yeah they gotta break out the hawk right? the, if they broke out the hawk it would instantly it would improve the show like at least and we just have like a crossover where it's it's suddenly like yeah benjamin cisco's returned from the wormhole after 25 years or something and he's brought a man called hawk with him from another like dimension <laughs> who's crossed over right and now there's Let's two see. of them you know, and we got to deal with Cisco. We got to deal with a man called Hawk, and there's tension. Now, what they do is they do a they do a spinoff of Picard, and they call it Cisco, and then he just comes out of the wormhole, and then we deal with the show from there. That would be, and he's and now all of a sudden he's a jazz musician, and, <laughs> and he just and he plays in Cork's bar. He doesn't want to command anything. He just goes in Cork's bar and plays music. I'd watch that. I'd watch it. I'd watch it. Yeah, for just sure. Just have Avery Brooks. Um, like I love his interviews now because it just seems so off the wall, right? Just oh, yeah, that he's off. Just hot. Just that. No, Talk about jazz. Good. No, yeah, we need to. Uh, like, I would love to come back to these characters. Obviously, I, I think D Space Nine is. They could make that, and it will make a ton of money because everybody would want to watch it. Like, if you want to put that behind a paywall, people would pay to watch like the return to D space nine. Picard, I think has largely missed the mark because it's, it's trying to set up a whole new crew and whatever. And I respect that. But I think that a lot, what a lot of people want is if you're going to bring back Picard. You, I think you, it's hard not to bring back the rest of this group, yeah. um, you know, and, yeah, not like have Worf there, and it's just weird. It, it's imagine they brought back like only Janeway. It'd be kind of like, all right. Like, I mean, there's not a lot you can only tell so much about. Well, that. I, I can appreciate that they brought Seven of Nine back, and I think that that's interesting to kind of bring Picard and Seven of Nine and maybe mix up some of the some of the old crews. Like, you know, you want to bring a D, a D Space Nine character into this series. I think there's maybe an opportunity for that. Um, um yeah. Um, especially with maybe even talks about like communications with uh, a trill because now you have Picard living a second life now. So having that kind of having uh, that uh, discussed with like a, a trill experience of multiple lives would be interesting, maybe. Yeah, then they could, they could do Dax and cast a new actor, right? You no, know, where <laughs> the sort of unofficial lore is that like after Deep Space Nine, Ezri Dax goes on to become a captain and kind of a big deal and. And whatnot, right? But they don't have to cast her, they could cast like a totally new actor and say, This is Dax now. Like, <laughs> you know, they, I mean, they really could. I, I like that idea a lot better. A lot better. Oh. There's, a, there's a new reboot of Netflix's Unsolved Mysteries or something. You gotta check that out. But I get to hear that music all over again. Do, do, it's so scary. Do, 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 do. 
All right, do you have any more fun facts? No, that was it. That was the last one was about Odo and his face. Okay, well, we've been talking about this for about an hour. I think uh, I think we I think we've talked about everything there is to sort of squeeze out of the story of the Nagus because I think it, we all agree it's a pretty strong, solid story. Uh, set of a lot of things, and I think it's a lot better than the Alan Moraine, although maybe not as memorable. We won't stick in our in our short. Alan Moraine, Alan Moraine the battle cry of the. <laughs> and all the sticks. The sticks. <laughs> Love it. Uh, anyway, here. So let's uh, let's uh, let's pl- uh, plug plug uh, everything else. So you know, we're continuing this three and a half year journey as we rewatch all of Star Trek: D Space Nine. Join us next week for the next the episode that came after the Negus, which is called Vortex. Yes. Which I barely remember this episode. It's got some uh, egg shaped. I don't know. What, I don't know what's going on in this episode, it's but the, uh, character. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's an Odo focused episode, I believe, and uh, and that's where we're going next week. Uh, also here on Live Long and Podcast, join us on Thursdays for original series rewatches. We don't do those in any particular order. That's just kind of where we go next. And and so this this coming Thursday, we're talking about the Tholian Web, uh, where we're going to have a special guest. Uh, Jeff's been bumped. Uh, and we're bringing in um, Keith Rondo's wife. I forget her first name, but she's coming in. Uh, Ted Mater's bringing in our dad, and we'll have Jody Simpson on that. It's going to be a great night to talk about the Tholian web. And on Friday, join us for our second performance of Star Trek Radio Theater, Friday Night Live. These performances are live, and we have some excellent, uh, some excellent things coming up, like, um, well, let's see... Uh, I have the Enough cast here. Uh, Jeff, who are you playing in this show? Playing Picard, I believe. Troy. I have. A, I've. I've been thinking about how I'm going to do Troy. I mean, I do have my my standard way of just going, speaking really slow and doing data. <laughs> right. I need to have a conversation. <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of my standard Troy. So this is the cast we're going ahead with. Uh, if you can see it there. Um, and so, yeah, we have Ashley, of course, is going to be playing Luxana and Data in this famous Menage Troy episode. Jeff, you have Picard. Uh, and this is the episode where the famous Picard meme comes from, as we see here with him holding out his hand. This has been, this is used all over the internet for many years now, and uh, it originates here. So you have to bring justice to that. Plus, have Troy, and you have Ethan Phillips's Dr. Farrick, of course, Neelix, and uh, Jordy. I should do him as Neelix. Yeah, you should do. You should do him. Yeah, if Neelix was afraid, well, yeah, just do, just, just do him as Neelix. Card, uh, I don't know. I was thinking about doing him like Tony Soprano. No, I don't know. I think you have to do him because he has to do like Shakespeare in this episode. I don't know. Hey, Tony Soprano doing Shakespeare, man. Nice guy. Do what you want it with it, Jeff. Yeah, I got. I have some interesting characters, including Riker, which I have no idea what to do with Riker quite yet. Worf, I think I know what to do. Uh, Grax. Uh, John Wayne with, for Riker. I think I'm going to do the John Wayne for Riker. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm leaning. <laughs> but that's a very unnatural voice for me. Uh, all, yeah. and, and and Crusher, who has like barely any lines in this episode, even though it's a it's a Wesley focused episode. Speaking of Wesley, uh, uh, Wesley is played by Jane, including da- Damon Tog and Nibor. As well as uh, some other Ferengi crewman line will also be going to Jane. So check that out. 
here on Live Long on Podcast. Friday night, 9 o'clock. Do not miss it. And Saturday, join us for um, our Star Trek movie rewatches. This is the end as we go into Star Trek Beyond Darkness. Um, This is the final... Beyond Darkness? Beyond Darkness. Oh yeah, Star Trek Beyond officially, yes. but I think it's Star Trek because they went Star Trek Into Darkness in the last movie. I think this is Star Trek Beyond the Darkness, or something. Quick, yeah, something. No, they didn't want to mention Darkness because they don't even want to acknowledge that. that movie. They don't. They basically <laughs> ignore that Into Darkness was a movie, and they make Star some, there's some interesting lines in the script that are, like try to distance themselves from that movie, which I think it's gonna be fun. So, what else? Oh, and what? I, check out our other channels, including. Uh, Super Mater Brothers podcasting, but maybe more importantly right now, Trivial Debates. On Sunday, we are going to have Trivial Debates hosted by Chris Seymour. I think it's got uh, Kevin Millard and it's got Jane's going to be competing for the first time ever on Trivial Debates and Jody, I think, is in there. So yeah, check that out. And uh, and yeah, I think I've, I'm done plugging everything we got. For Sunday so, Night Delight. Wow. Yeah. It's busy podcasting network here, guys. Fight night, Sunday <laughs> fight night, trivial debates. Here we go. Yeah, it's a now it's a once a month thing, so it's kind of a it's a kind of an exclusive privilege to get on the show. It's a treat. It's a treat, treat this week. You know, it's not to be squandered here on, uh, in the network. It's like a well refrigerated grub. <laughs> grub grub is great. <laughs> like compliments to what the replicator? Like who is he complimenting? Uh, Quirk, Quirk was very happy with the compliment. Yeah, was, oh no! <laughs> okay, guys, um, I think that's it, and we'll see you on the flip side later. Yeah, we didn't know it was for even. This, this isn't even time, but guys, guess what? Sometimes you you forget, and you have a, sh- a, a thing you have to do. And we forgot to rate this episode. This is Captain's Log Supplemental here on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This is overtime. Overtime. Okay, let's let's get this. Uh, we always want to make this. We've been rating all these episodes, and I forgot completely to uh, bring this up. So here we go. All right. Um, so Jeff, Benegas, do you have a rating for this episode? Um, I'll give it a solid seven. I think it's a, about seventy percent for me. Seven and Jamil. Seven. It is a strong seven my highest rated episode of the season so far it's fantastic seven okay second um and let's see here i think i'm going to give this i can't give it any less than a seven that's for sure maybe 7.5 i'm going 7.5 on this this has an imdb rating of 7.2 uh sorry so i am not doing this math right one second There we go. So, uh, yeah, this is pretty up there, guys. Uh, not not as good as maybe Babel or uh, Captive Pursuit or some of the other episodes we had earlier on this season. But this has been uh, a nice uptake after we had a couple rough weeks here on Live Long and Podcast with these uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine uh, episodes. So you should you should get Jamil's ratings on Dax, Captive Pursuit, and Babel. Dax. Where Dax just yeah do you know, do you want to give those offhand uh, Jamil or do you uh, um, let me review it again? Um, Babel, <laughs> Babel, 
Oh, Babel will probably give pretty low too. Yeah, because if you're not here, if you're not here that week of the podcast, you're uh, you know you can always update your ratings after the fact. But I yeah. just black you right. out until I'll never go back and watch it and go, okay, this is my rating. Was I was I here for that episode? I just never gave a rating. Maybe I think I was there for that episode, and I talked about how <laughs> Kira just abducts that dude. Um, oh, on on, on um, in Babel. Yeah, in Babel. He was there for that one. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Okay, for well, that one. Uh, do you want to give your rating? Uh, I I can. You know what? Um, looking at what I gave everything else, maybe a five point five, because actually. Yeah, you you reserve uh, the right to change it later if you wish. I gave that one. I was a high on that episode. I liked <laughs> I it. I was not. I was not on that episode. It was just a lot, a lot of foolishness in that episode. Um, watch me go back and look at my response, and I'm like, yeah, it was okay. Well, five point five. But if you really look at it, nothing's been as good as Dax this season. That was the best episode. <laughs> and Dave really liked the episode. You guys like Dax. I. It's just got this amazing cast. It's like this, like if if anything, we could actually do that as a Star Trek reenactment play. Uh, that episode, that episode, sure. That episode totally would work because it makes sense. It's a it's a murder mystery sort of thing. Last episode. Come on, move along home. You want us to do? We are. We are. We have been talking about doing move along home. Jody Simpson's been flirting with the idea of coming, um, you know, into the show. And I said, you want to come into this production? He goes next week. Next week. And I said, well. What are you, he's, so we were thinking about doing um, what's that episode? Catch. Kevin Millard has to play Alamarine guy. Like he, he <laughs> Kevin Millard is like well, because I don't think yeah, I don't think Kevin's quite ready yet. So I want to like hold on to that for maybe you a little warm bit. Up. You got to warm him up to to that. We got to warm him up. up. Yeah, we got to give him a small part in one of the episodes. Yeah, we're asking him to come in. If we're asking him to come in cold as Alamarine, you know, I think I think he could do it. I think he would try to do it, but. Uh, I don't Makes want sense. I think sense. he needs, you know, a couple. So I have my homework cut up for me. I will come in next week with my ratings for the remaining um remaining items. Um, was it? It's Dax and Captive Hearts, I believe. I need to put in. Uh, yes. So yeah. that just means more D Space Nine for me to rewatch. More D Space Nine. You know, hey, like, this is fun because I didn't really remember this episode tonight that much. So it was nice, kind of going back to look at this one again. Yeah, yeah I'll probably watch sure. it again. Get more of the swagger. Oh, there has to be a history about that that Vulcan. Like uh, we gotta find out what happened to her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did she steal Nog's homework? Will we ever know? She she did steal. We'll check the background. Jake, Jake we said on see like we hands Nog something yeah. two episodes uh, later. <laughs> I don't believe <laughs> in that moment. Oh my gosh! Oh, there it goes. All right. Well, uh, I guess that was the after show. It was only five minutes, but we got the ratings in the books. So, hey, didn't, we'll, we'll tack this on to the end of the podcast on the audio version. You won't even know the difference. But uh, the, for the anyone here in the video world, you'll have to kind of find this separately. All right. This would be kind of good to do in the future, Dave, is to do our ratings on an overtime. Ooh. Okay. Just like, you know, like save that stuff for the after show. Yeah. We'll do ratings. Even we, we, could, we could do fun facts as well. We can do fun facts. Maybe we do the okay. Maybe on the show you do like the top three facts, but then we go into all the other stuff in the after show. Yeah, so it just breaks it up. We know, okay, we've talked about the episode. Well, you know, we end it. We come back for the overtime. This is where we retool things here. This is where the um, magic happens. This is where the magic happens here. Yeah, it's good. Um, well, you know, that's only in the after show. We need some mood lighting here. We need some color. Uh, let's go get some indigo. Ooh. 
Wow. That's it's nice. You have it all around. I could see it on the edge. Right oh yeah, man. It's going all around us. Yeah, Where nice. else? And I can even I can change I have a light changing at my background and I can control this here with the phone. Now I can make let's see here. I can go well. The phone can control the LEDs or just no, I have like a lamp in the back now that like shines at my backdrop. You don't see it. I have the overhead on right now. You don't see it. Yeah, no, no, I do, now I do notice it now that you say that they have a light on your wall. Yeah. Looks nice. I like it. Yeah, it Almost working on it. Working on it here in the command center. So uh, on the bridge. You should just call it the bridge. Here in the bridge, and here we bring in uh, the, the battle bridge. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I keep kicking myself because I'm like, I I want to get some some Star Trek stuff on my wall. Like I have my toys put aside. Like I had an Enterprise D with battle damage. I had a Franklin Mint um, Enterprise uh, original Enterprise, but that just in various moves just fell apart. And um, I have a three dimensional chess set as well for Franklin Mint. Um, right. But um, I want to get some more stuff, some new stuff. And I, well, I have I some more looking at yeah, yeah. that uh, that Star Trek Six poster, and I'm like. Oh, nice poster. So sure. great. Um, Star Trek 2009. I want to get, uh, I like the movie posters for that one as well. Um, and same thing with Beyond. I like the IMAX version. The Beyond poster is beautiful. Yeah. So, interesting fact about that um, the IMAX, uh, the IMAX uh, version of that for Beyond, I met the person who um, designed it. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I met them in line. They had to actually wait in line to go to the premiere for. Um, Star Trek Beyond at San Diego. Hmm. And she's yeah. like, yeah, I, I made it. And I'm like, why are you here? Yeah. Right? Uh, because the way they did the um, the actual line itself to see it is you had a chance. So uh, Fenos and I, um, we went what we thought was bright and early to get in line. And we were practically about maybe three kilometers back in line. Right, we were at the literal end of the line. They're like, "Here's a sign that says this is the end of the line," and it was super hot. I think it was like 36 that that day, and uh, we're right by the water, so the water's reflecting, and it's getting a little bit warmer. Um, and I think we waited in line. I, we got there, I think, at like 10 a.m. in line. Uh, and then we didn't do our first draw because it was like you had to wait in line and it was like um, a serpentine line at a certain part. Um, and then you get to the front and you literally have to put your hand in a bag, um, take out, um, I even forget what I was pulling out, but something that said either you won or you lost. And if you won, you got a wristband for the premiere. If you lost, sorry, kick, uh, kick rocks or go to the back of the line. And mm -hmm. we had to do, I think on our our third time, we actually made it in. Um, so, but like people were passing out. It was so hot that um, some of the uh, WB, uh, I didn't get to see the cast, but supposedly people came by and was handing out bottles of water to people um, because obviously you don't want the news saying, you know, right. dozens of people pass out in line for Star Trek tickets. Not really right. great promotion. No. Yeah. 
Uh, anyway, guys, I'm just going to uh, sign off the air again here because we're still live. So peace out, and uh, we'll see you next week for uh, Vortex. Oh, thank you.